Thank you. If you have your Bible, we're in the book of uh, Mark, chapter 6, verses 45 through the end of the chapter. Um, you might recognize that there's a different voice. I got a souvenir from our vacation and uh, haven't got over it yet, okay? It felt kind of lousy. So if you know that I'm trying to avoid you, it's not because of you, it's because of me. I've baptized my hands in sanitizer, but I'm still not sure uh, I'm completely clean. But anyhow, I will avoid trying to give you anything, but I've tried to do everything. My wife uh, brought a box of Kleenex for me and a bottle of water, and if I fall out, she said she'd finish the sermon. So you are in good, or something like that, in good hands. Okay. Okay, yeah, and Dante's here. She covered for me, too. So, Oh, Steve's here, too. Yeah, Steve, can, he already covered this week and uh, the weeks I was gone. So, yeah, it's all taken care of. You'll carry me out. Well, good. I may need that. In your Bible, in Mark chapter uh, 6, we're looking at really kind of the closing point of the ministry of Jesus in the area of Galilee. It was a pinnacle time. And so this morning, I've just um, named this text because it deals with the storm that the disciples are going through. I called it 101 when I started college. Everything I took was 101 English, 101 history, 101 uh, speech, and everything because you had to start with the first to get to the second. Well. Uh, like this metaphor of storms that I'm speaking of is that all of us will go through troubles and trials and storms, things that interrupt our life, but today we're talking about a literal storm that Jesus got the disciples through. And so the only sure way that we'll ever get through storms is that we completely rest in not only one who can save us, but one that's completely sovereign. So if you have your Bible in chapter um, 6 and verse 45, and if you're able, let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading uh, from God's word. And here's what the Bible says, Mark chapter 6, verse 45. And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side toward or to uh, Bethesda. And while he himself was spend, sending the multitude away, and after bidding them farewell, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them in the fourth watch of the night. That's from uh, three in the morning till six in the morning. He came to them walking on the sea and intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they saw him and were frightened. But immediately he spoke to them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were greatly astonished. For they had not gained insight into the incidents of the, the, the loaves, the feeding of the 5,000, but their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over to the other land of Gennesaret and moored uh, to the shore, when he had come out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about the whole country and began to carry out on pallets those that were sick to the place they heard he was. And, every, and, and wherever he entered a village or city or countryside, 
They were laying the sick in the marketplace or literally out on the streets, entreating him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak so that they, uh, and, and as many touched it, were cured. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the ministry of Christ, not only to the people that are going through storms uh, today in their life, that the same truths that are evident for the disciples in that day, Father, are so applicable to our needs today. And so we pray that you might guide our minds and our hearts. Your spirit would just make us uh, open and teachable. Father, we know that um, if the disciples who walked among the Savior every day, hearts became hard, it would be very easy for us, uh, Father, uh, to push away and not allow our hearts to be what they ought to be. And so we pray that you would bring our hearts to the place that we might listen and be able to connect the things that you're teaching us, and not only that, to apply them to our hearts and to our lives. And then, Father, once we've done that, that we'll be able to help others as they go through storms themselves. So, Father, we pray you'll take these words and help us to be guided by those. In Jesus' precious name, amen. With your Bible still open as we talk about this matter, there's the first observation I want us to look at, and, and that is literally discovering as believers. When the disciples began to follow Jesus, just like when you give your life to Jesus, I hated not to be at vacation Bible school this week. It was the uh, first time in 40 years I haven't been a part of what's taking place. 40 years that I didn't get to spend a week in the greatest mission field of telling boys and girls about how much Jesus loved them, how Jesus died for them, and how they can have eternal life by trusting Jesus as their Savior. And it was a free gift, but yet it cost him everything so that they could have eternal life. And so when you think about those uh, kinds of uh, storms or difficulties or things that you run into, it's simply because that when people follow the Lord Jesus Christ, they never have to go through these things by themselves. And maybe you're here today and you feel like you're going through something by yourself. But let me tell you something. If you will come to trust Jesus and rest in faith in him, you will never have to go through the storms alone. But let me say that in saying that, following Jesus doesn't mean that your life is uh, stormless. In fact, these are followers of Jesus. And if you look very specifically at verse 45... And immediately he made his disciples uh, get into the boat and go ahead of him. In fact, uh, John describes it when they were out in the sea and they says, and he was not with them. They were all alone. And so they sensed that somehow there was a separation and the separation from him always brought storms in their life. But the truth of it is, is he promised that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And though we go through the valleys, the Bible says, thou art with us. And so uh, specifically, he made them get in the boat. In fact, the word means to force, to press, to constrain, get into the boat. But you know, if they got into the boat, they got into the sea. He, he's literally pushing them to a destination that's going to be confronted by the storm that is yet ahead. And so it was his desire. In fact, this is not the first time. It was in chapter uh, 4, verse 35, that we studied that Jesus himself was uh, also uh, in another storm. In fact, in that particular time, he was uh, sleeping in the storm. Now, if he sleeps in the storm and he walks over the storm to get the disciples, then the storms are really not the problem for him. 
He's more concerned about the condition of those that belong to him. And so he puts them in the storm for a very specific reasons. And so I want you to be very uh, note for sure that uh, we are not going to be without storms, but we're going to go through storms. And the good part about it is we'll never have to be alone. And it's strange because in reality, he's taking them from one storm to put them into another storm. You see on the mountaintop, when Jesus was feeding the 5,000, this is the pinnacle of the ministry of Galilee. This is the most influential thing that has happened that recognizes not only his power, but who he is. But yet because of the lack of understanding, John tells us their desire was to take Jesus and make him kings. And so instead of allowing that to happen, he pulled himself aside for prayer because he wanted the direction of his father and he put his disciples in a boat and sent them into the storm as he himself spent a great amount of time in the storm of his own life in prayer. In fact, if you look at, he sent them away before it became dark and then he came in the middle of the night from three to six, just say it was three o'clock. He had already spent nine hours of prayer as he began to go and to minister to them. And so in his own life, he knew how important it was to communicate and spend time and to reiterate the promises of God. But second thing, one of the things that happens in this storm, it also, it begins to uh, help them to see themselves. You see, when you go through troubles and trials, um, sometimes, you know, it's like somebody holds up a mirror uh, before you. You ever had something happen like that and you just see yourself in, in trials like you'd maybe not have seen yourself before? Well, last Sunday night would be a good example. It was about uh, almost midnight. Our plane was supposed to leave there, but I think there was a storm. You guys have had a lot of storms since I've been gone. So anyway, that may be appropriate message. Uh, but a storm knocked out the communication tower at, at uh, DFW, and so Lovefield couldn't get the planes in. And so we sat there till they finally said about 1130, your plane's going nowhere, get in line. And so it was probably one or two in the morning that you know, we finally got to the counter so that we could figure out whether we were gonna get home or not. And you'll never believe what the, uh, my devotion that morning was about. It was in the book of Job. And it was in the third chapter and it says, uh, Job's wife says something like this, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, you're having a bad day, you're having a terrible day, you need to get over, you need to just die. And, but he says, you know, will I not praise God when good things happen? Will I not also praise him when adversity comes? And it's amazing that he said, you know, our consistency is in him, not in what happens to us. And so in the storm, there ought to be consistency about our life. And so, you know, and then I get back here and I, I finally on, you know, we, it was another full day. We finally got back at two o'clock in the morning on, on Monday night, came here on Tuesday. I felt like Somebody had run over me with a freight truck. And of all the things, the kids were up here singing, God is good when things are bad. And I thought, yeah, kick me one more time when I'm down, okay? Just, just go ahead and bury me. But, you know, that's a reality. It was a truth of a message. And so it's not until we go through storms sometimes that we really have to deal with the reality of who we are. And so when you look at this passage as it talked about, in fact, the Bible says in verse 48, and seeing that they were straining. And the word straining is translated from the word tormented. In fact, it was sometimes in the secular world, the third degree that was given to a wayward slave, 
A slave that meant really nothing to his master, and he got the worst kind of treatment. The Bible says their rowing literally left them harassed, tormented, distressed. The wind was against them. You ever feel like that everything's against you? I mean, it just starts stacking up against you. And so everything that you're trying to do, I mean, they headed out to Bethesda. Now they're in the middle of the sea. And knowing that, it's uh, as they try to figure out how to get there, the storm has arisen. And, and then on top of that, it's in the middle of darkness. They're terrified. And all of a sudden, there comes a figure walking on the water. In fact, uh, the Bible says when they saw him, look in verse 49, when they saw him walking on the sea, fascinating word because it doesn't mean, uh, it's walking like on a hard surface, upon. The, the preposition means he walked through the storm as though the storm was, the waters were concrete and he walked right through those toward him. And the Bible says, you know, here, uh, they were probably uh, three or four miles according to uh, Matthew's account. And, and so there they were that distance and they keep seeing this figure that gets closer and closer. And their response is the word ghost. It's not the word spirit. Spirit would be something that would probably be uh, maybe is frightening, but uh, some uh, persons whose soul has departed has come back to give them some kind of message. But this word is descriptive of a, a, an evil spirit, a kind of a ghostly image that was there for one purpose, and that was for evil. And so their assumption of the storm was not only are we tormented, but now our death is coming because here comes, you know, maybe the, uh, the death angel uh, to come and get us. It, this is, it's over with us. And, that's, and then I like uh, the way in which uh, Weiss translates this. Uh, in this translation, of course, the Greek word in our, as we flip through it, I always remember the word because it had to do with croaking, uh, the sound of a frog, uh, a groaning. But here, uh, Weiss probably does the best job. He says, they just screamed. Now, you have to understand this is the honesty of the scriptures because it really shows us uh, who we are many times as we face the storm. Here these grown men. In fact, it was in this particular occasion that uh, John tells us that Peter walks on the water. Maybe because of influence in Mark's life, they didn't want to include all the mistakes, but everything that happens to us in the storms, it's as though that it's published for us so that we too might learn on, our, on, on behalf of that that we might grow in this situation. So everything that maybe they believed or hoped for and thought about, it looked like it was the conclusion. Well, I'm going to tell you something else about that trip is when we went to that trip about, no, probably maybe now four or five months ago, I, I decided to buy with my, in my retirement account some of the stock, and I decided to invest in um, um, a particular airline. Can you guess which one it was? Yeah, love. It was love is the three letters for the stock. It was uh, Southwestern. And, you know, it was kind of dipping because they keep investing in this kind of plane. It was a Boeing something. Anyway, they didn't have them in service. But all I had to say is I thought, you know, I'm going to hang on to that because, uh, you know, you never know. You know, get on the plane and, you know, stockholders, maybe they just rushed me to the front. It didn't happen. You know, the plane was canceled and I thought, man, I've got a little stock. Maybe they'll bring out this other plane, okay? Fly this man because he's a stockholder, okay? 
And then when I waited all the night thinking, well, you're not going to fly. Maybe they'll put me in one of those fine hotels and feed me because I've been through something uncomfortable. No, they didn't. And I was standing in line saying to my son-in-law, boy, I can't wait to get back home to sell this stock. I said, I've, I've had it. Because, you see, in the storms, many times uh, God wants to remove from your life the things that you're confident in so that you'll be completely confident in the one who can walk on the water. Lucy, our youngest granddaughter, went through the ride at uh, the amusement park. One of them was called the Haunted House. Why? A three-year-old's parents wanted her to go through that. I don't know, but she wanted to ride with Grandpa. That was fine with me. And so I don't think she saw a thing, single thing in the ride. She sat between me and Granny, and I think she, she went through the ride like this. She, she held on to as much as she could get of Grandpa, and I kept telling her, you know, oh, this is just a puppet. This is not real. But that didn't suffice her. She just wanted someone to be there for her. Let me tell you something. When you go through the storms, there's something about that that storms help us to develop a childlike faith just to depend upon him. Get rid of everything else that you've put your hopes and dreams because they may never come to anything and be useless and simply baggage. Or a second thing I thought about, not only that, is that you know, in storms, it certainly teaches us not to become self-reliant. It was their self-reliance, their rowing, that got them further and further out in the middle of the storm. I mean, your self-reliance, you're just adding to the problem. You're, you're adding fuel to the fire. Don't do that. You need to just, in childlike faith, say, God, I don't know. I don't know what this is about, and I don't know what you're up to, but, you know, even when things are bad, I think the kid said, God is good. I mean, he is. And so he has a plan that's far greater than ours. And lastly, let me just make one last. When I came back to Greenville, I, it was probably Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday I was trying to make it to service, and so it was the only time I actually got out and I drove down Wesley Street. And you know what I discovered about that storm? You know, there was debris everywhere. You know, there was stuff thrown out, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I can't help but think that's exactly why God brings me through that because there's things that I don't need in my life. There's things that I shouldn't have in my life. And God has just a way of bringing me through the storm to say, you don't need that. And so he gets rid of the things and helps me to hang on and depend upon the one and put my hopes and my faith and my confidence in him. And so therefore it helps us to handle the storms. In fact, he gives them two imperatives. One is to, to have courage. That's the one. He says, facing the storms with knowing that I'm there, that you'll have courage. And he says, and you won't have fears because it is I. Let me go to the second observation I make from this passage because this passage is speaking about the storms. It gives us a, a greater understanding about the Savior. When the Savior came walking upon the water, you know, you had to have, you'd somehow have to connect the truth of what's being told. In fact, it's unique to the book of, uh, of Mark in verse 48. It says, he came walking and he intended to pass them by. Now, what does that mean? You know, here they are in the water. Here they are struggling. Here they are fearful. And the Bible says, but his intention was just to walk on by. Now, there's a couple of translations that have tried to, you know, bring that down, make it a little more tender. 
He intended to come close by them is what I think some of them translate. Let me tell you exactly what it means. It means he intended to pass them by. But you have to understand why that was important. In storms in the Old Testament of individuals' lives, God used a passing by for the importance of them to understand him and really his heart. In fact, one of the passages that deals with God passing by is found in the 33rd chapter of the book of Exodus. And there was a torment, a difficult time, a, a time of torment for Moses. And Moses literally became a substitute for the nation, willing that his name would be marked out of the book of life so that God would spare the children of Israel. And God, uh, uh, as speaking to Moses, Moses said, you know, God, I... I really wanted to go to the land, but he says there's really one thing I really, really want. I want to know you in your glory. And the Bible says so God allowed him to go in the mountain and literally God covered him as he walked by and allowed him to see the, the back of his presence. And the Bible says, and he passed by. And when he did, all of a sudden he became, there's this knowledge of who he really was, became so crystal clear, a God full of compassion. God who is faithful, long-suffering, a, a God who doesn't give up on us. And in that time, Moses, what he had longed for became a reality as he understood God in a new light as he passed by. There's a passage in, uh, in the book of Kings, chapter 19. There was a man named uh, Elijah, kind of had a struggle with this uh, lady named Jezebel. She was as mean as any person you'd ever meet. And she said, I'm going to kill that man. And he ran for his life, and in fact, he went and hid in the mountains. And again, the Lord came to him. And the Bible says he passed by. Of course, when he saw the, the renting of the mountains, and he saw the smoke and the whirlwinds and all that, and the Bible says, but no, that's not who. That wasn't God. God was not in those. But he spoke to, to Elijah in a still, small Voice. He was revealing himself, and so God's intention, what they needed to know that the same God that was sufficient in the mountain to feed the multitude is the same God that's sufficient in the valleys of the storms of life, that he can be dependable, he cares. The Bible describes it as him seeing them in verse 48, and then he came to them. He literally opened his heart, and so as a result of that, now, the Bible tells us that he wanted them to know who he is. Verse 50 tells us that when they saw him, they were frightened, and he gave them great courage and says, Take courage, it is I. Now, most of you know that that translation is the I am that I am. I'm God. I'm the God that's uh, made the mountains and made the seas, and I'm the God I, the, of all your needs. I am whatever you need, I am I am that God. And he said, again, those two imperatives, I don't want you to be afraid, and I want you to have uh, courage. Now, again, sometimes we grow greater when storms like this take place in our life. And so here at the peak of the uh, ministry, in fact, uh, it was just a little while that they would go to a place called Gennesaret, which we'll talk, and they were going to uh, see the hand of God in a miraculous way greater than probably any other time as he himself, Jesus, heads to the storm that's going to take place in Jerusalem. But the Bible says in these things that he did, telling them not to be afraid, there was a sad statement in verse 52. And he says, but they did not 
gain any insight. In, in fact, um, the best way to use that particular word is they didn't connect the dots. They didn't see him as the one who had all power in the mountains. And so therefore, they were unable to see him. In fact, it's in the perfect tense, which means they were completely hardened. They had no way to connect that he would be sufficient in the storm because they didn't see him as sufficient in the area of feeding the multitude. And so as you look at this passage, it was a struggle that they have to concentrate that he was the sovereign one in whom had revealed his work. And so it was by this mean, the Bible describes that their hearts uh, had become or was completely hardened. There's a, a man, songwriter, and Andre Crouch. And in fact, I think it was the Oak Ridge Boys in the country gospel that used to sing the song, uh, Through It All. And, and one of those choruses, or maybe the verse that says, you know, I thank the Lord for the mountains, and I thank him for the valleys. And he said, I thank him for the storms he's brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, then I would not know that God can solve them and what faith in God can do. You see, the storm was to get them to depend and to trust and commit their life and to know who he is, his presence in every situation and his promise. I, uh, you know, when we talk about Psalm 23, and yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, every storm you and I will face, he said, uh, uh, thou art with me. Not only that, he wants us to know how to run the race. He teaches us that uh, we should run with courage and with, with uh, fearlessness because of who he is, resting in him. I never forget the little story of the young man who was chased, uh, the little boy that was being chased by some bullies, and all of a sudden he thought he hit a brick wall. And he looked up, and his brother, who had just come back from boot camp, was standing right there. He turned back around and he says, now tell me again what you told me. You know, that's, there's a courage when all of a sudden we run into the Savior and understand that his ability and his strength, he can do all things and therefore he wants. But he wants us to have the confidence in who he is. Now the third part, and I want to close, and this is a third observation about this passage. As you see, the storms that we go through are not to destroy us. If you ever feel like you're destroyed or you're at the end of your rope. Let me tell you something. God didn't bring you through the storm uh, to let you sink, but he brings you through storms for the sake of ministry to others, what God teaches in those particular times. In fact, it's further service. So he took them out of the storm, even though their hearts were not complete. And the Bible says in 50, 53, verse 53, and when they crossed over to the land of Gennesaret and moored, to the shore. Now, again, unique to Mark because mooring to the shore means they didn't just coast right up to the land. They had to put anchor out and then cross part of the water, maybe in a smaller boat or maybe just swimming to the land. And so the size of the boat in the storm was, was a large. It was, uh, in fact, uh, commentaries will tell you that it had to be a large storm for Jesus. Now he's walking by, had to come over. Or maybe he just, you know, got one of those waves and says, come on over here. And he just stepped on, uh, stood on that wave and just stepped over in the boat. But the Bible says that he was completely in control as he walked out to them. But now they came to the place in which they 
banked the, the boat, and of course they came to the area of Gennesaret, which would have been on the opposite side, on the, on the uh, western side. Verse 30, uh, 54, and when they had come out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him. It's almost kind of a, a slap in the face. Now, the disciples didn't recognize him, but now when Jesus stepped out on this soil of the places that people were hurting and broken in the storms of their life, the Bible says they knew who he was. In fact, it's a word not only of knowledge, but complete knowledge, complete knowledge by experience. And so the Bible says they begin to turn and begin to uh, literally set up a route wherever he would go. In fact, that's what the Bible says. And they ran about the whole country. I think uh, it was in Voss's uh, translation of that in his little commentary. He says they were in a frenzy. It means to run around in circles trying to get to the place where Jesus was. And the Bible says, and the whole country ran about with um, uh, pallets, those that were sick. Now think about that just a few moments. Now that's only the second time we've read about pallets in this passage. The first time we read about it, there was, there was this man that had four friends and they picked him up by a pallet and they opened up the roof and they let him down. And now people were bringing people to Jesus in groves, in pallets, and they were setting them on the streets because they had heard what Jesus was able to do. There was this determination. I mean, everywhere, in fact, wherever he would go. So sometimes they would set him here and he said, oh, he just turned the corner. They would pull the person back over to the other side because they knew if they could just get him close to Jesus. Not only did they bring their pallets, but they also, the Bible describes that they, they in their mind, uh, entreating him, that they might just touch the fringe of his... Now, who, who, was, who was done like that? Wasn't there a woman that had been sick for 12 years and she crept into the crowd thinking, maybe if I could just touch the fringe, the corner, the hem of his garment, I could be made whole. And now people are coming from everywhere saying, if we could just touch. You know, it's amazing. What God does and does in your life, he never intends for it to stop there. These two individuals become a literally a megaphone of example for others because they want to become like the people that have been touched by Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What about your life? Who's being changed by the way Jesus has touched you? How are you using that transformation to serve others? Jesus brought them to a place where they were being again ready to be used. And the Bible says, whether in verse 46, wherever it was in a village, or if they went to a big city, or in a countryside, they were laying the six in the marketplace or the main broad streets of the places, entreating him that maybe he would touch their life. It's kind of fascinating because the passage says, and as many as touched it, were cured. I, uh, you know, there's just the inexhaustible grace of God. You know, you get thinking about this. I was, uh, I don't know where it came about, but I, I read, I think it was in the MSN that overnight that the, the president went into a place where no president had been before. It was uh, no man's land to shake the hand of their enemy. Hey, folks, let me tell you something this. That's nothing new. 
You see, the Savior stepped out of the glory, came into the land that he, he didn't deserve anything. He came to the storm to take his, uh, that his life might be given and nailed to a cross that we might come at that same place. And you know, that's kind of the word repentance. It's a gift from God. The Bible says when we turn from our ways, there's an amazing thing that happens in the work and the grace of God. The Bible says when we turn, he will turn. In fact, there's a passage I hear a lot of times in holidays like this when we celebrate, if my people are called by name, if they turn, what will happen? Then. The Bible says the people of Nineveh, they, they fell in sackcloth and ashes and repented. And, and what happened? God repented. God turned to them. The prodigal son says, I'm going to go home. And what did he discover? The father running to him. It's a picture of the, God's gift to you. The moment you turn, you're going to discover something about it. God's turning to you. There were those that in this storm, unfortunately, were hardened. They were the people that were the closest and the nearest to the Savior. And then there was a people who just saw Jesus as the only hope in their storm and their life was changed 